The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. 200 years ago today, May 5th, 1821, the former Emperor Napoleon died aged 51 in exile on the British colony of uh, St. Helena, still a British colony, the second oldest after Bermuda. It's in the South Atlantic, about uh, two and a half thousand miles east of Rio de Janeiro, a little closer to Africa, due west of what's now the uh, Angola-Namibia border. The British had put him on that island to deny Napoleon the possibility of triumphant return. After all, if you escape from your nominal prison, Longwood House on St. Helena, where do you go from there? Paris? How? How are you going to get there? Uh, His physician, the Irish surgeon Barry O'Meara, had secretly written to a clerk at the Admiralty in London that the somewhat mouldy conditions of Longwood House were having a deleterious effect on Napoleon's health. But by 1821, Mr. O'Meara had left the ex-emperor's service and been succeeded by François-Carlo Antomarchi. Dr. Antomarchi performed the autopsy, apparently concluded the cause of death was stomach cancer, but did not sign the report. In the course of his examination... He removed the former emperor's penis, uh, which has passed through many hands in the last two centuries, as penises are wont to do. When I was a lowly columnist in the Conrad Black Empire, it was rumoured among my colleagues very persistently that Conrad had acquired the Napoleonic regenerative organ for some unstated purpose, but in fact it now resides with the daughter of a famous New York urologist who bought it in Paris. What motivated your father to buy Napoleon's penis? One of his big crusades, and he was the world's leading urologist for maybe 40 years, um, was to lend dignity to that profession. Right after he got it, he x-rayed it and did all that just to make sure it was the real item. It's definitely a penis, right? No question about that. (laughs) All the internal structures are perfect, and if anyone knows anything about little internal structures there, it would be Dad. Now, we can't film this, right? Yes, we cannot film the actual item. And here we oh have... Oh, my God. Wow. And there you go. Oh, wow. The object of all my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. Huh, it's heavier than I thought. God. Once in a lifetime here. Wow. Well, it's definitely a penis. The Napoleonic organ is said to resemble a shriveled eel, but uh, that condition is by no means uh, unique to the former emperor. Dr. Latimer paid 3000 bucks for Napoleon's penis. That works out at two grand per inch. No one knows how long it was during the emperor's lifetime. A lot of history about today. Happy Cinco de Mayo, which in theory commemorates General Zaragoza and the Mexican army's victory at the Battle of Puebla over the French Empire, Second Empire, that is. So Napoleon III, not the first guy, but don't get too exercised 
trying to keep your Napoleons and their transient empires straight, because who cares, right? In Mexico, the day is unobserved. In America, under the dominant multiculti wankery of our time, Cinco de Mayo is now just some generic cookie-cutter, hallmark greetings cards, one-size-fits-all, celebrate diversity, know nothing, celebrate the butt-numbing uniformity of our mandatory diversity crapola, entirely disconnected from anything real, as increasingly is most of life, don't you find? Happy Cinco de Snoozos. Uh, it's also the so-called centenary of Northern Ireland. Fifty years ago, I wouldn't have bet on them making it this far, but they have. So happy 100th birthday to our Ulster listeners. We will have more on that in the context of the era in today's edition of the 100 Years Ago show. Uh, But here's the biggest pop star ever to come out of Ulster, lovely Ruby Murray, who in 1955 had five hits in the British Top 20. Simultaneously, a record that has never been beaten. Go get him, Ruby. If you're Irish, come into the parlour. There's a welcome there for you. And if your name is Timothy or Pat So long as you come from Ireland There's a welcome on the mat If you come from the mountains of Morn Or Killarney's lake so blue We'll sing you a song and make a fuss Whoever you are, you're one of us If you're Irish, this is the place for you Okay, that's enough of that. Ruby Murray survives as Cockney rhyming slang for a curry. At least she used to. I don't know whether there's any Cockney rhyming slang left in London, given that there aren't any Cockneys left in London. But uh, Ruby Murray used to be a Cockney rhyming slang. Uh, Come on, love. Let's get down the pub and then get a couple of rubies on the way home. Uh, Oh, and speaking of historic occasions worth a celebratory vindaloo, tomorrow is the fourth birthday of the Mark Stein Club. We will have a special edition of our Clubland Q&A live across the planet tomorrow, Thursday, and at a special birthday hour, 10 a.m. North American Eastern Time, that is 2 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, 3 p.m. British summertime, if you want to work it out from there. It's midnight in Sydney, if I'm doing my math right. Uh, So I hope Australians will want to stay up uh, for that. I do hope you'll join us. And if you're a Mark Stein Club member, do shoot me a question on absolutely anything, uh, including what you think of the club. Charlene, I, I should thank you, by the way, for all your kind renewal membership comments from our first day founding members among them is Charlene Pinkover from uh, South Dakota who writes thank you for another amazing year as daily life gets more narrow and depressing I value your insights history and cultural lessons and yes even the video poetry although that tends to fall on a very tin ear thank you for being such an invaluable treasurer you'll you'll soon You'll soon get into uh, the video poetry, Charlene. I wouldn't do it, except that everyone knows video poetry is where the big bucks are. Uh, History is bunk, said Henry Ford. 
but he himself is history, so who cares what he thinks? There is no more total dismissal in American English than, ah, he's history, as in he's done. You need pay him no further heed. Stick a fork in him. So why do we bother with history on The Mark Stein Show? One word, roots. Because a society without roots isn't really planted. Uh, And that is why Antifa and Black Lives Matter tear down everything, whether it's a statue of Columbus or a grade school named after Mr. and Mrs. Obama. Because a society that lives only in the present tense is ripe for anything, as we see all around us. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Uh, Scott Barnhouse, a first-month founding member of the Mark Stein Club, writes, Mark, talk me off of the ledge, please. It seems that we have fallen into a Banana Republic level of justice where, quote, justice depends totally on the agenda of those in power. You have talked about this before, But just when I thought that we couldn't sink any lower, we have. And Scott goes on to give uh, uh, several examples uh, as individuals. Um, The examples he gives aren't people I particularly uh, care for one way or another. Uh, But that's actually all the more reason to defend their right to due process. Because obviously if justice is only for chaps you happen to like, then it isn't a justice system at all. So he goes, yesterday, the FBI raided Rudy Giuliani's home. Uh, The medical examiner who testified in favor of Derek Chauvin is being, quote, investigated. Yes, that's quite an important point. Uh, it's It's not enough now just to get the guy You also have to get anybody uh, minded to defend him, including those who appear as witnesses on his behalf at trial. Um, Nick Fuentes. uh, Nick Fuentes, I'm not sure how many people know who he is. He's one of these uh, alt-right figures. I believe he's a big pal of uh, Michelle Malkin. And uh, Nick Fuentes um, uh, does oven jokes about Jews. And uh, when the clip came up of him doing oven jokes about Jews, I think it was John Derbyshire. And John is regarded as uh, too strong meat for a lot of people. But John Derbyshire observed of Nick Fuentes' oven jokes about Jews. How does this help any of the causes I'm concerned about? And that is a good way to put it. But anyway, Nick Fuentes... Uh, does oven jokes about Jews, and um, he's been, as Scott continues, he's been put onto a no-fly list. Anyone who was at the Capitol seems to have been arrested and held in solitary confinement. The government is fighting the release of video data from the Capitol that could help exonerate those being held. The feds were reportedly ready to arrest Derek Chauvin on federal crime should he have been found innocent by the jury. Uh, That's absolutely uh, correct. That's double jeopardy by any definition of double jeopardy, that if the state case against him had failed and he'd been acquitted, the feds would have arrested him and uh, brought the same case, essentially the same case against him uh, via the federal system of justice. The abuses go on and on. That's, again, I would say a fairly big flaw 
in America's judicial system. Scott continues, Meanwhile, BLM and Antifa rioters are released, often even without bail. Illegal immigrants are not deported but released into the country. That's right. Even if they're COVID positive, they're released into the country and put up at a respectable uh, a mid-level chain hotel at your expense. Hunter Biden, says Scott, need I say more? As even more contrast, any police officer who shoots a member of a certified victim group is immediately doxxed. But we still don't know the identity of the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. That's right. And there's no uh, likelihood of you finding that out because... Uh, The Capitol Police are not really a police force, as that term is understood, but a personal security guard for Congress. Uh, So they are exempt from freedom of information requests, for example. Scott continues, This is all very similar to the case brought against you by Michael Mann. In any legitimate system, that case would have been thrown out of court, but instead it was allowed to proceed because the process is the punishment and you were not of the correct tribe to avoid the punishment. A country without equal justice for all cannot hold together for very long, but that is where we seem to be. What, if anything, can be done? Well, Scott, uh, since you bring up my case with Michael E. Mann, I'll start there. American justice, both civil and criminal, is such a racket that nobody in it expects justice to be the determining factor. In the civil division, it's about who's got the deepest pockets that can keep the thing going until the guy with shallower pockets is so desperate he's willing uh, to settle. Um, in the Carrie Katz CRTV case, for example, Katz is a billionaire and I'm not, uh, and that's supposed to be dispositive. So as was pointed out to me by one of the various pre-trial quote-unquote mediators, as the broke loser Canadian, I'm supposed to concede to sufficient of Katz's demands Uh, to persuade him to call off his dogs. And of course, because I'm a foreigner, uh, having grown up with comparatively less corrupt justice systems, I didn't know that. So if you pick a fight with me, it's going to go all the way to a verdict because I'm old-fashioned like that. Um, As Katz eventually learned when he got a judicial decision finding that his company hires criminals who intimidate women, that his chief content officer is quote, potty mouthed, and that he himself demonstrates behavior consistent with that of a cockwomble. You know, uh, now in the criminal system, the same power imbalance operates, but even further bulked up by the awesome power of the most lavishly funded state on earth. So if you resist, you'll be crushed, and you're expected to know that. That's why the Federal Department of So-Called Justice wins 97% of its cases without ever going to trial. If they do go to trial, they win 99%. Uh, So if you insist that they prove their case in court, you'll be broke, as General Flynn quickly learned. Uh, And then once you're broke, they'll, and you've got nothing to lose on the financial front, uh, again, as General Flynn quickly learned, they'll threaten uh, to go after members of your family. Uh, And then after you're broke and ruined, as Roger Stone has just learned, they'll come after you for penalties and interest on your taxes, just so you get the message there's no end to this. This is an evil and corrupt system, far worse than anything in, well, you name it, you know, New Zealand, Spain, Ireland, Barbados, Finland, uh, wherever you want to go. So don't wave your constitution at me. Don't do it. Don't reach for it. Don't reach. Put it away. Stick that constitution away, because this is raw, naked muscle in the service of state power. Uh, 
uh, and the Constitution does not protect you from it, apparently. And behind it all is the implicit threat that every rinky-dink branch of the U.S. government is a SWAT team so that in the end they can kick your door down at dawn and shoot you. Now, we've had a couple of developments on the things you, you, you cite. Um, for example, Derek Chauvin. It turns out that one of his jurors was a BLM activist who under voir dire uh, did not fully disclose that. And people are saying that uh, this is grounds for a mistrial. Yes, it is in a functioning justice system. What you have to bet, though, is that whatever judges the motion for a mistrial uh, comes up before are thinking about whether, you know, these Antifa BLM guys are going to come and burn down their houses. Now, then on on the federal front... Again, coming back to the DOJ, you have all these all-purpose uh, federal crimes, starting with uh, total bollocks offenses like mail fraud and wire fraud uh, that can be fitted to almost any activity and are designed uh, to give the national government jurisdiction over almost uh, everything. Again, don't wave your constitution at me. Put it away. Don't wave that constitution at me because there's the parchment and there's the reality. So if they bust into your house and seize your computers, as they did with Rudy, they've got all the time and money in the world to fit some email from some fella you had lunch with in Kiev or Prague uh, 10 years ago to one of their pseudo crimes. Uh, Then you have the most salient development of the last decade, the total abandonment of any pretense of equality before the law in the United States. If you're in the club... You can do what you want, including being on the take from China, leaving firearms in schoolhouse trash cans, and being photographed with your crack pipe uh, after having sex with minors. If you're not in the club, you'll be ruined. And this goes all the way down. It used to just be uh, the contrasting treatments at the top of the Clintons and the Bidens versus the Flynns and the Giulianis. But it now goes all the way down to the no-names on the streets. So it's the retired MAGA supporters of January the 6th, now on the FBI most wanted list, despite having committed no prosecutable crime, uh, versus the hardcore Antifa BLM types uh, trashing uh, Portland and uh, Minneapolis, getting bailed out by Seth Rogen and Kamala Harris staffers and never getting charged with anything. And again, don't wave that constitution at me. Don't wave it. Get it. Put it, put it back in the drawer. Put it back in the drawer. Because if you got no equality before the law, you got no republic, baby. Uh, Scott says, what if anything can be done? Well, uh, if you have the misfortune to attract the attention of the Federal Department of So-Called Justice, my advice is the same advice I gave to my friend Conrad Black 15 years ago. Hop in the back of my pickup, I'll throw a tarp over you and drive you across the Canadian border to Newfoundland and the ferry to Saint-Pierre and Miquelon, where you can hop a flight to Paris and thence your choice of exile. And I mean that seriously. Because it's not a justice system. Um, But for everyone else, well, you can do certain things. For example, when I uh, used to be on Rush or when I'm on Fox, I always make a point when the prompter script refers to, quote, the Department of Justice, of extemporizing it into the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt Department of Justice. The dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt Department of Justice. It's a small thing. 
but it's important to bring the DOJ into general contempt. And the rubrite, the law and order right, the so-called right-wing talk hosts uh, still saying, oh, it's just a few rotten eggs at the top of the FBI, not the hard-working, straight-shooting agents on the ground, salt of the earth, eagle scouts. Oh, yeah, name me one FBI agent who has objected to all the crap of the last five years and declined to go along with it. For example, those FBI agents uh, who bust into uh, the Roger Stone house at dawn, the ones who made a sick elderly woman, Mrs. Stone, get out of bed uh, and uh, and in her nightshirt, uh, drag her out, drag her out of there. Was there one man among those gutless statist pansies, one man who said, uh, sorry, I didn't sign up to do this. That's, I didn't think I saw all those stuff. I watched the telly when I was a kid and I saw all that stuff about the G-men and I didn't think G-men meant bullying and tormenting sick elderly women, women in their dressing gown. Don't wave that constitution at me. The name and agent who's declined to go along with any of this. The FBI is systemically corrupt, systemically, as they say, as is the DOJ. And I'm interested in hearing from political candidates serious about abolishing these agencies and replacing them with new bodies with far more circumscribed powers. And the answer to defund the police is not to do all the rah, 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 back the blue. I said I wasn't going to talk about Michelle Malkin, but she held a back the blue rally in Colorado. <laughs> and uh, and uh, whatever they were, Antifa beat the crap out of her. And the blue she was there to back, Colorado law enforcement, stood by as they watched Antifa beat the crap out of Michelle Malkin. So back the blue isn't going to back the blue isn't going to do it. Defund the FBI actually uh, <laughs> isn't a bad slogan. Look, I've barely skimmed the surface of this thing. The Bureau of Prisons for example comes under the DOJ. They're the fellows who couldn't keep Jeffrey Epstein alive till trial. And I have no use for Gillen Maxwell his mole and his procurer, whatever she is. I, 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 I'm in, I met Ghislaine Maxwell many years ago um, and didn't care particularly for her. And there's an awfully funny vignette about her in Barbara Emile's uh, <laughs> rollicking new men memoir. But listen, I can believe every single accusation against Ghislaine Maxwell, and I still do not think she should be entrusted to the care of the Bureau of Prisons. Um, and, and in fact, if, if uh, she'd still been in, I believe she's still a British subject, but if she'd still been in the United Kingdom and I happen to be an English judge, I would not have signed off on that extradition of order, given, given what happened to Jeffrey, given what happened to Jeffrey Epstein. It's an evil, evil system. And don't wave that constitution at me. Put it away. Politicized justice invites not only contempt for those particular bodies, but uh, cumulatively, it delegitimizes the state that permits it. And you know where that leads. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. On this bicentennial of Napoleon's death, how about a bit of poetry on the subject? He was always a, uh, as we now say, controversial figure. 
He was a brilliant military commander, prone to invading absolutely everywhere you could plausibly invade, often bringing chaos, plunder, uh, financial ruin, mass slaughter, but just as often bringing core principles of liberty, equality before the law, religious pluralism, the advance of science and the arts, and of course, the Napoleonic Code. His dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire saw the number of German states reduced by almost uh, 90% and thus paved the way for German unification uh, later in the century for good or ill. His sale of Louisiana doubled the size of the United States and turned a union of 13 colonies penned up in the American Northeast into a potential continental power and rival to the British, as Napoleon explicitly foresaw they would become. Uh, to this day, the diminutive emperor gets a better press in America than in Britain, I would say. This 19th century poem is very reflective of the U.S. consensus. It's by Isaac McClellan, who is not a first-rank poet by any means, but he was a friend of a first-rank poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. McClellan, like Longfellow, hailed from Portland, Maine, and they were lifelong chums. Written just under a decade after the event it commemorates and a useful guide to the fellow's curriculum vitae by Isaac McClellan. The Death of Napoleon Wild was the night, yet a wilder night hung round the soldier's pillow. In his bosom there waged a fiercer fight than the fight on the wrathful billow. A few fond mourners were kneeling by, the few that his stern heart cherished. They knew by his glazed and unearthly eye that life had nearly perished. They knew by his awful and kingly look, by the order hastily spoken, that he dreamed of days when the nations shook and the nation's hosts were broken. He dreamed that the Frenchman's sword still slew and triumphed the Frenchman's eagle, and the struggling Austrian fled anew like the hare before the beagle. The bearded Russian he scourged again. The Prussian's camp was routed. And again on the hills of haughty Spain his mighty armies shouted. Over Egypt's sands, over Alpine snows, at the pyramids, at the mountain, where the wave of the lordly Danube flows, and by the Italian fountain. On the snowy cliffs where mountain streams dash by the Switzer's dwelling, he led again in his dying dreams his hosts, the proud earth quelling. Again Marengo's field was won, and Jenna's bloody battle. Again the world was overrun, made pale at his cannon's rattle. He died at the close of that darksome day, a day that shall live in story. In the rocky land they placed his clay and left him alone with his glory. Isaac McClellan's poem, The Death of Napoleon, written some years after the event. For a contrasting view, here is a very great poet with what the title makes clear is an instant reaction to hearing the 1821 equivalent of a breaking headline by Percy Shelley, lines written on hearing the news of the death of Napoleon. What? 
alive and so bold, O earth? Art thou not overbold? What, leapest thou forth as of old in the light of thy morning mirth, the last of the flock of the starry fold? Ha, leapest thou forth as of old? Are not the limbs still when the ghost is fled? And canst thou more, Napoleon being dead? How is not thy quick heart cold? What spark is alive on thy hearth? How is not his death knell knolled? And livest thou still, Mother Earth? Thou wert warming thy fingers old, O'er the embers covered and cold, Of that most fiery spirit when it fled. What mother, do you laugh now he is dead? Who has known me of old, replied Earth, or who has my story told? It is thou who art overbold. And the lightning of scorn laughed forth as she sung to my bosom I fold all my sons when their knell is knolled. And so with living motion all are fed, and the quick spring like weeds out of the dead. Still alive and still bold, shouted Earth. I grow bolder and still more bold. The dead fill me ten thousandfold, fuller of speed and splendor and mirth. I was cloudy and sullen and cold, like a frozen chaos uprolled, till by the spirit of the mighty dead my heart grew warm, I feed on whom I fed. I, alive and still bold, muttered Earth. Napoleon's fierce spirit rolled in terror and blood and gold, a torrent of ruin to death from his birth. Leave the millions who follow to mould the metal before it is cold and weave into his shame which, like the dead, shrouds me, the hopes that from his glory fled. A Brace of Poems from Me to You by Percy Shelley Lines written on hearing the news of the death of Napoleon And before that, an American view of the same event by Isaac McClellan Mr. McClellan, quote, left him alone in his glory. Mr. Shelley wove into his shame the hopes that from his glory fled. Tales for our time, songs of the week, and of course, the Mark Stein Show. Stein Online is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Members of the Mark Stein Club have access to the full catalogue of Stein content, transcripts, and discounts, as well as the opportunity to ask Mark questions and engage with other club members in our comments section. Join the Mark Stein Club today by heading to www.steinonline.com. That's www.steinonline.com. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. Northern Ireland is here, Soviet Palestine may not be far behind, and Upper Silesia is anybody's guess. It's May 1921. A hundred years from today. Your World News Update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues. Following Franco-British disagreement, 
Over the disposition of Upper Silesia, a third Silesian uprising is underway. Under the leadership of Polish nationalist and former member of the German Reichstag, Wojciech Korfanty, the Polish forces have destroyed all German rail bridges in Upper Silesia, leading the Inter-Allied Commission to declare martial law in Silesian cities. For their part, the Germans have been more preoccupied with matters to their west. The French government has called up 200,000 men and concentrated nine army divisions on the German border in preparation for an expansion of their current occupation of certain German cities to an occupation of the entire Ruhr Valley. Following the German default on their May 1st war reparations payment of 12 billion gold marks, the Allied Supreme War Council has notified Berlin that it has until May the 12th to accept a total reparations obligation of 135 billion marks. The British Prime Minister, Mr. Lloyd George, signed the demand himself. Following the American Secretary of State, Charles Evan Hughes's reply to the Germans, that the US has no interest in mediating the dispute, Chancellor Ferenbach and his cabinet have resigned. It may seem like Germany ain't nobody's darling these days, but you never know, they may have a new friend. A provisional treaty has been signed in Berlin under which Germany will recognize the Soviet government in Russia. So-called self-determination is the principle, heavily promoted by former American President Woodrow Wilson, uh, that has remade the map of Europe. But self-determination only goes so far, and apparently not as far as the Gulf of Bothnia. The Åland Islands were an archipelago of almost entirely Swedish speakers, and they would like to belong to Sweden, but the League of Nations Commission on the Islands has awarded the territory to Finland. The Ireland Islands will be neutral and demilitarized, and there will be international guarantees to protect their culture against any assimilation attempts by Finland. The Bolsheviks march on beyond the bounds of Europe. Riots are underway in Jaffa in the new British mandate, prompted by calls from the Jewish Communist Party for the establishment of a Soviet Palestine. Clashes with the rival socialists of Ardut Havda have led to Jews, Christians and Muslims fighting it out in the neighborhood of Manshia, to date, at least 40 people are dead, including the acclaimed Hebrew novelist Yosef Chaim Brenner. Hey, you 
In Ireland, we have spent much time in recent months on the ructions in the dear old south of the country, round Dublin, but on John Bull's other island, there is also a dear old Northland, and they are now a distinct political entity. Westminster's fourth Home Rule Bill has come into effect, creating new devolved parliaments for Northern Ireland and for Southern Ireland. Northern Ireland will comprise the six predominantly unionist counties of Antrim, Armagh, Down, Fermanagh, Londonderry and Tyrone. Elections for this new entity of Northern Ireland are scheduled for later this month and are expected to be won by the Unionist Party. Its leader, Sir James Craig, has met with Eamon de Valera, leader of Sinn Féin in the south, but it seems increasingly unlikely that there are sufficient takers for any southern Irish parliament within the United Kingdom. In the United States, the Supreme Court has reversed the conviction of Senator Truman Newbery, Republican of Michigan, uh, for violation of the Federal Corrupt Practices Act in his 1918 election campaign against Democrat candidate and automobile manufacturer Henry Ford. It is not yet clear when or if Senator Newbery will be returning to Congress. The Secretary of War, John Weeks, has announced that all draft evaders of the recent World War will be arrested and treated as willful deserters. Congressman George Tinkham, Republican of Massachusetts, knows something about war. While visiting the Western Front as part of a congressional delegation, he claims to have been the first American to fire a shot at the Austrians. As part of a long campaign to protect voting rights for Negroes in the Democrat South, Congressman Tinkham uh, had proposed an investigation into the South's disenfranchisement of black voters. It has been rejected by the House of Representatives with 285 opposed and only 46 members in favour. The Swedish Parliament has passed a bill abolishing capital punishment throughout the kingdom. In sports news, the English Football League has recorded the lowest match attendance in its history, with only 13 paying customers present to watch a match between Leicester City and Stockport County. <laughs> Every Peruvian knows this famous Andean tune as popularized by the spectacularly successful Zazuela, El Condor Passa. The condor passes overhead. But scan those skies carefully. That may not be a condor passing up there, but the speedy aviator Giovanni Ancelotto. He has just flown across the Andes in an Ansaldo A1 Balila 
completing the journey from Lima to Cerro de Pasco in 1 hour 35 minutes at an average altitude of 18,044 feet with a maximum altitude of 22,966 feet while over Mount Meigs. He covered the 76 miles from Lima to La Oroya at an average speed of 143 miles per hour, leaving El Condor Passer in the dust. It may be that high flying is becoming safer than the lower transportation methods. The Japanese passenger ship Tokuyumaru has caught fire and sunk in the Pacific Ocean. The U.S. Army transport, the Buford, managed to rescue 65 of those passengers. The astronomer William Robert Brooks discovered his first comet in 1881 with a telescope he made himself. He went on to discover another 26 comets, making him second only to Jean-Louis Pont as the world's most prolific discoverer of comets. He has now joined them in the heavens, dead at the age of 77. William Fries Green was an English inventor and photographer. He was a pioneer of cinematic photography going back to the magic lantern days and then to experiments with the use of celluloid. His inventions included phototypesetting, a form of printing without ink, and a process to film in two colours. His inventions earned him great wealth and he blew through it all. Uh, Almost entirely forgotten by the modern photoplay business, the impoverished Mr. Green attended a stormy meeting at the Connaught Rooms in London to discuss the poor state of British picture distribution. During a spirited intervention from the floor, he was asked by the chairman, Lord Beaverbrook, to come up on stage so more people could hear him. Mr. Fries Green did so, then returned to his seat, collapsed and died at the age of 66. The industry that had entirely forgotten him has now given him a grand funeral and observed in its picture palaces a two-minute silence for the man they now call the inventor of kinematography. It is only a decade since Alfred Herman Freed won the Nobel Peace Prize. In 1892, Herr Freed founded the German Peace Society, which name rings a little ironic in light of more recent events, uh, but its proposals for an organization to mandate world peace have largely come to fruition in the new League of Nations. Herfried was also a great promoter of the universal language Esperanto and wrote the definitive textbook of that universal tongue. He is dead at 56. Rest in peace or in Esperanto, Reposu in Paco. And that's the way of the world, May 1921. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today. One final note on the bicentennial of Napoleon's death, when both his soul and his penis departed his body. Without doubt, the most successful song ever written about Napoleon is no question called Waterloo.
street And that's when Napoleon met his Waterloo Yes, yes, I know. That's not the Waterloo you were hoping to meet. That was an earlier song called Waterloo, a hit in 1959 for Stonewall Jackson. Possibly not the Stonewall Jackson, if only because it's unusual to find one general singing a hit song about another general. Here's Napoleon meeting his real Waterloo some 15 years later in the 1974 Eurovision Song Contest. Agnetta, Benny, Bjorn, Annafried, A-B-B-A, Abba. on the shelf is always repeating itself that is profound very profound very true although uh, our own particular total civilizational collapse may be the exception that proves the rule because it certainly has some unique wrinkles that'll do it for today's show join me tomorrow thursday for that fourth birthday clubland q a special time 10 a.m. North American Eastern, that's 2 a uh, 2 p.m. Uh, GMT, 14, what do they say, 1,400 hours GMT. You'll have to work it out from there. Uh, stay safe, stay free, and as you were so complimentary about our string quartet arrangement of We'll Gather Lilacs the other day, how about this? My, my. time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show.
The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.